Hello, hey, welcome back to the No Approval Podcast with me, Pillar. Today's a bit of a special day, right? Because it's International Women's Day. Don't get it twisted. We celebrate women all year round around here. But today, especially the month of March, actually is International Women's Month each and every year. And this year's theme is breaking the bias. So I really wanted to celebrate somebody in my life who I feel really represents the theme of breaking bias, not just in the workplace, but also in their lives. So I'm going to be joined by my girl, Tasha Antwi. Tasha, aside from being an amazing human and of course a great friend to me is currently the head of SEO at an agency called Rise at Seven. Before she took this role she worked on a whole heap of high profile clients like Lego, Gucci, Ralph Lauren, Kurt Geiger, Quorn. The list is endless. She likes to self-describe herself. This is actually what she's got on her like social media bios. She self-describes herself as an SEO bad bee helping fashion and beauty brands maximize their discoverability across platforms. So just to break that down for anyone who's not familiar with SEO, it's a more like technical side of digital marketing that's all about discoverability. So think about when you Google something, the top brands that come up as a result of that search has been done by somebody who is an SEO specialist. And it's evolved over the years. It started out very heavily as Google and link backs to your clients like website and different pages. But now it's across a variety of platforms. So even like Amazon and social media accounts, their work is just across the board. And just to give you guys some context on why Tasha is such a good representation for breaking the bias a recent survey on the seo industry basically found that men outnumbered women at a two to one ratio so seo is a very heavily male dominated industry and then on top of that with tasha being a black woman there is hardly any black women at Tasha's level in her industry I think there is her and like maybe like two others that we found during a little google search a little linkedin search it's very rare to find women in that industry let alone black women in that industry so Tasha is joining me today and we're going to be talking about like trusting the timelines of your life We're going to get into her early days in influencer marketing and the bias that existed within that industry. We'll be finding out the secret source of how she has worked her way up the ladder to a senior management position. Also, how she balances her career with also being a carer for her brothers. Remember I said at the beginning of this, like when I'm talking about breaking bias, I'm not just talking about careers. I'm also talking just generally in your life. And we cannot talk about women going up the ladder without discussing 
the narrative that is going around at the moment on social media, especially, especially by men who have podcasts, who are basically saying that there's a theory that the more senior a woman becomes, the harder it is for her today. So we're going to be joined by our friend Charles, who's going to give a bit of a male perspective on this narrative that's going around. And yeah, just really get into the different nuances, the different angles of that. Tasha's own experience. I throw my little two pence in. You know how we do. But yeah, let's dial Tasha in before we dial Charles in. Let's do this. Tasha Antwi, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hello. Hey, babe, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It feels weird doing this because obviously we're actually friends in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And for context, we have been friends for, oh my gosh, how many years has it been now? Has it been like 10 years? It's more than that. I've known you since I was like 18, 19, something mad like that. Why are you trying to age me, babe? <laughs> <laughs> before we get carried away so I do this thing for every guest that comes on it's called the no approval moment and let me just pull up your no approval moment okay this is it it's Tasha saying not me making I pull ranks top 40 SEOs I never talk about work much on here when she says here she means her Instagram her Twitter but I had to share this recognized for my work bringing audience insights and SEO tactics together for the fashion and beauty industry I was nominated by Reggie who also made the list and making big moves in the industry and paving the way for diversity in SEO I also admire all her work ah sis Congratulations. You made a 40 under 40 list. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Are we in church? <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a big deal, Tash. Come on. No, no, it was. It was. It was a big deal. And you know, I have to give a special shout out to Reggie just because she reached out to me on socials. I can't even remember like how we even connected now. But through her, I've discovered so many other, not just black women, black people in the industry. So what she's doing is big and I absolutely love it. And yeah, I recommend everyone goes and follows her. Literally, um, I've discovered so many people in the industry. And before, I literally was kind of doing my thing and just kind of prodding along. It's like only in the last couple of years that I started doing like conferences and speaking at different places that I've had the opportunity to meet so many other people doing what I do. So yeah, it's been good. Because mm. we need to get into the fact that in that post that you put out, you said, oh, I don't really talk about work much. But before we get into that, I want us to backtrack all the way back to when we first met at uni. So Tash, let's go back to Bruno. I have to big up Bruno. I feel like just... Brunel just really breeds like great talent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Doesn't matter yeah. the industry. We've had politicians. We've had businessmen. We've had lots of authors, entrepreneurs, podcasters, everything. Lots of sports people as well. Brunel just makes everything. I have to big up that uni. Yeah. But when we first met at Brunel, so we first met at Brunel, Tash, you left uni. Like you dropped out. Yes. And <laughs> it's so mad though, because you dropped out of uni 
and then you joined a new uni afterwards. So actually yeah. amongst our friendship group, you were the last person to graduate uni, like a few years after the rest of us. Yeah. And fast forward today, you are definitely the most senior out of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> look how life works and uh life is actually really funny and um like a bit of a backstory I try and keep it short but basically what happened was when I when I went to Brunel I was studying biomedical science and obviously you know them ones where you try and make your parents happy everybody wants you to do some sort of science or law or you know something finance related so my thing was science and um I wanted to initially be a doctor, but obviously I didn't do chemistry at A-level. So that's why I had to do biomedical science. And that's how I got into Brunel. And um, when I got to Brunel, I did the first year, flopped, redid the year. And then, like, I flopped the first year. I feel like that biomedical course was hard in general anyway. Mm. But the real reason is, and like, even though like, after doing my second year, I was, well, I say the second repeat first year, and I was about to go into the next year, I just had to think about life because I realised that I wasn't as into it as I thought I was. So, like, I wasn't... I didn't really care. Like, I wasn't really trying to kill myself to revise or do anything like that. Sometimes an assignment was definitely due on Monday. And because at Brunel, they were a bit... They were a bit um, lenient, shall I say. So, you know the ones where if you hand in your assignment late, it would get capped at, what, 60%, which is a B. So I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I'll just hand it tomorrow because I know that. You'll still get a B. What's the worst that can happen? I'll still get a B, do you know what I mean? So, and I realised that, do you know what? I'm not really into it. So that's what was my inspiration to, like, basically drop out. And I started to think about what were my interests, what were the things I like. And I like business, I like marketing, I like fashion. And then I was like, okay, so if I drop out, you need to go and do fashion. I'm just going to get one mad side eye for my parents. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I just thought... It's probably better I just do a business course and then I'll pivot from that. Like, because, you know, you can kind of do a few things if you do business. Mm. So that's basically why I dropped out. And I remember when I was dropping out, thinking to myself, I am like, you know, it's a bit mad. Like, I've definitely done two years. I've wasted already two years at uni and I'm going to drop out to do something else. And I remember all my friends literally were like, what are you doing you just you just need to just carry on what you're doing because you've already done two years already. You might as well finish, blah, blah, blah. So many things. And people are like, oh, you'll be the youngest in your class or one of the young ones, if anything. And I was just like, do you know what? I don't really care. Uh, yeah, and then I ended up dropping out. But I applied to a few unis, didn't get in initially. So then I ended up working for a year in retail. And I remember that period was really hard, shall I say, just because... All of my friends were like in their final year or graduating, essentially. And I was out here just working every day in a shop, basically. I used to work at Miss Selfridge on Oxford Street um, when it used to be open back in the day. And um, it was just it was just really annoying because then like I just felt like I was behind. I wasn't sure what I was doing. And you know when you feel like the degree was like an achievement to for myself and to make my parents proud so it was like a, a big pressure on my head shall I say yeah and then obviously like as I continued working I remember because I ended up becoming a supervisor and I kept getting promoted so it was it was all right like I was making okay money but it's retail money and I remember one time I got talking to the head of marketing at Miss Selfridge because she used to come in regularly to take out 
clothes, obviously for free. And only a supervisor or manager could do that. And then I got chatting to her and I said, do you know, what? I really want to work in marketing. Have you got any tips? Like, how did you get your role? And she was like, oh, do you know, we do, you know, we do internships. And I was like, huh? And I was like, these managers, you people are enemy of progress. You don't want to promote these things. So I didn't realize that they do um, internships. So if you worked on a shop floor, you could actually get work experience in the head office. So I remember going to do that and I worked across fashion week had a, such a good time. And then as soon as that finished, I was like, right, that's it, I'm going back to uni. And then um, I did my application and then ended up going to Kingston to cut a long story short. And then I remember, like like I said, during that time, it was hard because everyone had just graduated. People were starting to get their grad jobs. When everyone's enjoying themselves on the Saturday and going for shopping, I'm working in the shop until nine. I remember there was even a day one time where I think I was on like something mad, like chewing gum duty, picking up chewing gum from the floor. Chew- what is chewing gum duty? Chewing gum, oh, like it was like a horrible job where you just had to like spray some chemicals on the floor to remove chewing gum, basically. Wow. And um, I remember someone walking in and be like, Tasha, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? I was like, oh my God. But anyway, but yeah, I remember, I remember doing that and I remember not having as much free time I was only working two days a week. And um, because obviously I had changed my contract um, to obviously work part time and go back to uni, I ended up moving stores. So I had to move to the house of Fraser on Oxford Street to look after the Miss Selfridge map there. So there's only two people in a day max. And then like on a weekend, maybe three if it gets really, really busy. And um, like, yeah, it was just it was just a tough one because, like I said, I didn't have as much disposable cash as everyone else did. Everyone else was like going on holidays and doing their thing and having fun. And on the weekend, you know, going out for dinner. And for me, I was literally getting paid 500 pounds on the dot (laughs) with the hours that I was doing. And somehow I had a car. I was driving to uni. I was doing everything on that money somehow. So, yeah, so it it was a bit of a. A hard period. Even on that five hundred pounds, Tasha, you were still buying luxury designer bags. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> you made that five hundred pounds a month stretch, sis. Yeah, I, I always made it stretch because you know what? I've always known that the kind of quality of life I'm destined to live, and I think also the fact that I wasn't earning that much money, I don't have time to be buying bags which are made out of like poor quality materials, fabrics, that kind of thing for me to be buying a new one a couple months later or um, a year later or something like that. So I would just say, even if it was five, 10 pounds, I would save that money until I had a hundred pound and buy a bag that was at least real leather. So I know that I can still use it. And I remember even doing this exercise and I remember buying a bag from Whistles and Whistles used to be on my floor and I had this clutch bag that they had. I was like, I really need that. And to be honest, I actually still use that clutch bag till this day. Wow. It's just a nice black clutch bag. It's real leather. So I knew what I was doing back then. <laughs> so yeah, I was making that money last. Um, so Tash, talk to me about your first grad job because you were one of the first people that I knew who worked in this thing we now call influencer marketing. Oh, uh, yeah. So my first job um, was with an agency called um, Ford 3D, which have since been bought twice now. So, or they've moved to groups, I, I can't remember. So they don't even go by that name anymore. But that was what my first job was. And um, when I applied for that job, it's so funny because this is actually a really, this is a weird one. I remember seeing the job application 
And then I was like, oh, I'll do it after work. And I, I was like, oh, I'll do it on my lunch break. And I took my laptop with me. And actually, I don't know if you remember this, Pillar, because I remember you helped me out. <laughs> I do, actually. I do remember. I do remember. Do you remember? <laughs> There's a funny story to this. So basically what happened was I saw the job application. And I was like, oh, I'll do it on my lunch break slash afterwards. So obviously I just finished my last exams. I was taking my time. You know, when you're, you procrastinate, basically I was procrastinating. And then I went to work and then my manager, who's not really based in my store because it was too small, she came in and started complaining about the VM and this and that. And then she started moaning to me about finger spacing of the hangers. And I was like, huh? And I was like, are we really having this discussion? And she went in on me about finger spacing and how there was a lack of it. And I was like, this girl, this girl's mad. I remember thinking to myself, I want to go to work and have better things to talk about than finger spacing. Mm. So after we had this discussion, I was furious. I was actually fuming. So the minute she left the shop floor, I just said to the girl who was there, give me five minutes. I'm going to the stock room. I was gone. That's when I called you, Pillar. (laughs) And I was like, I've got an application that needs to be done today. And the rest can stay between us. And um, do you know what? I feel like maybe it was God that sent that lady into the store to anger me that day Mm. because I think I probably would have just been very complacent and probably stayed in the job. Um, Tash, you're one of the first people that I know who worked in what we call now influencer marketing. Like you worked for certain brands and then you would choose like influencers to gift stuff to. Would you pay them as well, actually? So talk me through that. Okay, so it's a bit of an interesting one. So obviously, like, when I started working in SEO back in 2013 now, 2012, 2013, influencer marketing was pretty small, maybe slightly non-existent at that time. Um, Obviously, there were influencers, there were people making content, but they weren't necessarily getting paid. So when I was working with influencers at the time we just called them bloggers yeah um just to keep it simple yeah we were just like we were working with bloggers and we were, we were having a lot of we were doing a lot of guest posting so this is a very old school kind of seo tactic that um people used to do um in terms of like getting bloggers who have blogs basically to write content and link back to wherever we want them to link and at the time i was doing a lot of this activity for one of the fashion brands i was working with at the time and it was so weird like it's a well-known like high street brand it's so funny I used to tweet this regularly like looking for f bloggers to work with a well-known high street brand blah 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 and it was so funny hashtag press request hashtag journal quest yep (laughs) (laughs) I remember and I would literally be tweeting and I'll be asking all my friends retweet this tweet (laughs) just because I knew that I would appear in the thread and the more I appear in the threads for those hashtags the more I'd get more bloggers and influencers approaching me. And it was so funny because at the time, people, I could say, this brand wants to work with you. They love your blog, blah, blah, blah. People would be like, oh, my God. And we'll go off and somehow find items to take pictures in and write a whole blog post and do everything without being paid. Until one day, someone said, is there a budget? And I was like, ooh, what's happening? (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, is there a budget? And then we had to get a budget. And then the budget, basically, we still wasn't paying people in cash. We were paying people with gift cards. Gift cards? Yeah, we'll say, yeah, we'll say like this, this brand really likes your, your content. 
and then obviously the brand would issue us gift cards to give to the, the bloggers. The bloggers would then use that to essentially go and buy items from the brand to then, you know, make content with basically. Yeah. And that's how it was. So yeah, it was an interesting time because I was having a debate with someone the other day. I don't know if this is a wild statement to make, but I feel like SEO people kind of potentially catapulted the whole thing, if you know what I mean, like mm. kind of kick-started the influencer marketing thing. Like I said, there were always people out there, like Lookbook used to be pretty big back in the day. People were showing, casing their looks and things from beforehand, like on Facebook and other like platforms, but people weren't necessarily getting paid. And obviously as an SEO there was this thing where obviously we knew that, okay, backlinks is a, is a big ranking factor if you want to appear highly in Google. So we were going after bloggers, essentially. Obviously, times have changed, and that's a pretty old-school SEO tactic that we don't really practice anymore. If anything, influencer marketing has kind of been taken over by more the PR and social kind of focus in terms of, like, campaigns and the type of people that would approach influencers now directly. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah, it was an interesting time. So basically, that's what it was back in the day. Like, we were literally like outreaching, sending people gift cards to go and get stuff. But aside from that, I was also doing like digital PR. So some days I could be doing outreach, other days I could be on the phone to a journalist at like Grazia or something to basically feature something digitally for like a, a brand I was working for back in the day. So when they started asking for budgets, like what was the most you ever paid an influencer? Ooh, um, I don't know if I should say the influencer's name, but there is a famous Italian influencer and she used to go by a particular blog name, which has now changed. She now goes by her, her normal name. And she's actually married to like a, a famous um, Italian singer. <laughs> you could probably guess who it is. But I remember at the time, she did a few blog posts mm-hmm. and she also did like some stuff on social. So because she was doing blog posts, obviously if they had a large following on social media. It was also like a, another like boost for us, if that makes sense. And I remember we paid her like 20K. And I remember thinking to myself, hang on, I'm going to start a blog. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> because... How is this person just collecting 20 bags just for this? And I was just like, Just for pictures. And uh, just for pictures, pictures and a bit of content to go on her blog. And that's the difference between if an SEO person was to approach an influencer versus a PR team approaching an influencer. We are more concerned of, was your blog good quality whereas the PR people would just look at how big your following is and engagement and stuff like that but now obviously like I said we've moved away from that but that's basically what the difference was but I remember it inspired me to be like hang on a minute I like fashion I like style aside from this thing I do in digital marketing and SEO so I was like maybe I should start a blog too and did you well I know the answer I did (laughs) yeah I did I did um I did and actually was making quite a nice little pocket money from it. Shall I say, well, maybe a bit more than pocket money, but do you know what I mean? It was a nice side hustle when I was consistently posting. Yeah, definitely. Because I remember you would share sometimes, oh, how much should I charge these guys? How much should I charge those guys? Yeah. But what would you say is like, what kind of things were you looking for when you approached certain people? Because I know, obviously, being your friend, I have some sort of insight as in like sometimes you would send certain influencers and the brands wouldn't want to gift them and some other influencers would get gifted. What were the key differences on who would be 
appealing to your clients? Okay, so this is an interesting question, potentially a controversial answer incoming. But basically, um, the preference was not black people. Really? That's quite sad. Yeah, yeah, it was quite bad. So like, it's always harder in general anyway, in the influencer marketing kind of industry. We all know that black and Asian influencers don't probably get paid as much as the other brothers and sisters, you know. So, um, so yeah, I did encounter that quite a bit where I was actively trying to get brand deals for other people. And sometimes some of these people would have bigger followings than their other brothers and sisters, but, you know, they wouldn't get that. And um, some of it is also to do with, like, how they set up their personal branding as well. A lot of brands that I would work with obviously had a desire to obviously look a bit more premium and this and that. So if you, for example, mentioned Primark, that was an automatic, you're off the list. You're not considered if you had mentioned them. So, yeah, so that's how it used to be. Really? Why is that? Is that because, like, your brands were luxury or even, like, high street retailers would be like, if they're posting Primark, we won't post them? So I've worked with a mix of brands of, like, high street and luxury, and both of them are the same. Even the high street ones, because they kind of want to position their brand slightly premium Mm. or they kind of want to go for the, like, the high-low luxe kind of feel. So they would prefer influencers or bloggers to work with who gave that high-low luxe feels. Yeah, so what does high-low luxe mean? Like, you got to break it down for some of us. It's like wearing an outfit from Zara and then having a Balenciaga bag. Okay. So it's like, you look premium, but most of your outfits probably come from the high street, but maybe you finish it off with, like, luxury, you know, accessories, for example. Got you. That's basically Got you. So what, like, a normal person like me and you could do, basically? It's not out of reach. High-low luxe is not out of reach fashion. Entry-level luxury. Don't get offended, because I know you're not entry-level. <laughs> no, no, no. And, like, yeah, so, like, for example, a lot of our brands in the brand guidelines that they'll have, they don't want you to feature anything else that comes from another store, but it's okay if you have a, a designer bag. They'll say that in a brief. Yeah, that's kind of what how they would they would do it Mm. and what happened to like the people you used to work with back in the day are they still around have any of them like continued to become successful or have some of them fallen off yeah do you know what a lot of people have like become very successful since that period like I remember before I left my first agency I was kind of heading up slash kind of building out their new digital PR offering. And as part of that, we were trying to have a collective of influencers that we would like work with regularly. And quite a few of those people have like blown. And even like now to this day, like I'm still friends with some of them. So yeah. And what's been the key for the people that you've seen like go on to be successful? What would you say is the key thing that has made them a success over their counterparts or their peers? Um, consistency really yeah I would say consistency and then they're also committed so like probably know what I mean when I say this but for everyone that doesn't know what I mean when I say this I'm reading a book called um, Think and Grow Rich and it basically talks about people and their goals and basically if you're interested you will do what is convenient for you basically like, if you can't bother to do something, you won't do it. But you might be wishing for the thing and you you want it. But if you're committed, you do what it takes. And I feel like those people that have succeeded, they were consistent and they did what it takes. 
So like there's a lot of influences that I remember from when I started in my career that I was working with and now they're like in the stars. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it, and those people, they were the ones that would make content so good that brands would say, can we use that for an ad? Mm. Do you know what I mean? You can tell that they've put their back into it and have made sacrifices and that kind of thing. So yeah, the consistency commitment and then also making sure that their content is always quality. But what about you then? So what has been your secret sauce? Because as we said, last to graduate, most senior. What's been your secret sauce to getting up the ladder? Um, do you know what? I think it's probably commitment as well. And I've tried to pass this down to as many people like that I can or that I come across. First of all, I was one of two black girls in our department and I constantly was being called Chantel. Meanwhile, me and Chantel don't look alike, but you know them ones where like, because <laughs> we're the only two black girls, I'm putting it out there. That's basically what it was like. And then it was also heavily male orientated. So when I started, because we had so many fashion brands that we were working with, a lot of the guys don't even know what three quarter lengths are and that kind of thing. So I kind of made it a point to be an expert in that. In fashion? Yeah, in fashion when I was at my first agency because these guys who were in charge didn't have a clue. And then another thing I realised was that there was just too many gatekeepers, should I say, to the top. And the gatekeeping was like, okay, I want to work to this next level to get a promotion. They're like, okay, so this report, you need to be able to do this report, but only the managers can do it. And it's like, so how am I going to learn? So I realised very quickly that, do you know what? Yeah, if I'm going to sit down and wait for someone to train me or, or do whatever... I'm going to be here rotting. <laughs> I'm literally going to rot. And I was just like, I just need to do something for myself. So I, I stopped basically following what everyone else was doing. And I basically started teaching myself. I wanted to learn how they did this complex Excel report. So I downloaded it and reverse engineered it to teach myself how to do it. Wow. Um, I would actively teach myself different things. I was doing different courses. I would be online. I'll be teaching myself technical SEO because nobody's here to teach me because literally as an exec, all I was doing was prospecting outreach keyword research and doing on-page optimizations. That was it. And obviously like if I'm just doing that, I'm not going to learn anything. So I had to be active and do that. And every person I've worked with, especially if there's like someone of color I've always taught them the same thing. If you try and wait for these people, these people aren't bothered about you. And where I was was very much a bit of a boys club. So all the boys, they would promote themselves, they, they'd go out and they'd do their own thing and wouldn't involve any of us girls. So it literally was like, you have to go and do that. And in order to be like that, you need to have some sort of drive and know what you want, if that makes sense. You have to basically don't wait for people to come and promote you. You go and promote yourself. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, mm. Don't wait for other people to say, okay, now it's time that you can do this. Just go out and do it. If you know, like, for example, I remember reading, um, we've got this thing at my old agency um, that I just left. We had something called an experience matrix. And I was looking at what do you need to be like a, a CEO or a, or like, like someone pretty senior in the SLT team. And one of the things was public speaking. And I'm not that confident to go out and do big public speaking but I then applied. I started applying to speak at conferences because I knew that this is something that at this particular level you need to be able to do. No one pushed me to do that. I just did my own research because I know where I want to go. Yeah, yeah. So that's basically what you need to do. And when you started getting these like public speaking gigs, how did your team react or how did the people in the companies react? 
Um, it was a weird one because the old one was probably a bit more on the corporate side of things, maybe not as fun and as fluid, if you know what I mean. So people did go and speak, but they didn't really do much promo on it in terms of, you know, they didn't do much promo in, in terms of that. So they were like, oh, okay, it's fine. You know, it's okay. I did remember um, my one of my managers, when I first joined my last company, um, within a few weeks, I got offered to speak at um, a company conference in front of like 500 people about the work I was doing on Lego. And he was like, how did you, he was like, how did you, how did you get that? <laughs> he literally was like, what the heck? He was like, I've been here years and I've never done that before. And I literally was like, wow, I don't even know. And do you know what? I'll tell you how I got that. And I think I've, I've had this conversation to you before in terms of like fashion and personal style, because obviously fashion and personal style is like my kind of thing in general. And I take pride in how I look, obviously. But I remember on my first day, I wore this pink velvet suit and it caught everyone's attention. And on the first day, I had the CEO introducing himself to me. So that's how. Can you do that? <laughs> Not you introducing yourself to the CEO. The CEO came and introduced himself to you. I love yeah, it. Yeah, because he was like, he was like, your suit is nice. <laughs> so, you know, I had the right people coming to, to talk to me. So that's another thing I always try to advise people, especially if you're coming up the food chain. You need to look the part. You can't just... You need to be looking like you're you're an account director. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> or you're you're a CEO or you're this and that. When you're when you're entering a building, you need to command the space. Wow. <laughs> part of that is how you present yourself. So yeah, so yeah, when I started on my first day I wore a pink velvet suit, I had loads of people coming to intro themselves to me and obviously have a chat about the suit. And then obviously because I was already on chatty terms. Um, with the right people they were like hey do you want to go speak here and I remember thinking oh my god I was actually shitting my pants I'm not gonna lie <laughs> and I just said yes I was like I can't get out of this now <laughs> and yeah and um, I remember like my manager he was like wow I've been here for a while and no one's asked me to do that <laughs> but yeah <laughs> do you know what yeah that is it's so true what you said about like the conversations I know for example like I get invited to speak on panels or host panels every now and again and sometimes people are like how did you get that sometimes even me myself I'm like how did I get that and do you know one of the things that I've noticed it is and my friend Jason tweeted this the other day he said remember that one day like the interns become the execs so yeah. it's all of those relationships you have with, for me, it's always the assistants, the coordinators, like all your peers, when they come up or even when they're in a position, because a lot of the older generation look to them, who should we book? Who's good? Who does this? Yeah. Who does that? And that's how I get half my things. It's always through the people who are the interns, the assistants, the coordinators. And as they go more senior, you maintain those relationships. Once you get on chatty terms with someone, that will bypass any form of promotion or whatever. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. And even now that I've obviously like left my old company and I've joined um, Rise and I'm having a fabulous time, my old CEO actually reached out to me and offered like some mentoring and coaching just for free. And um, he he's obviously left that company now to start his own business but even that's like really nice and that's all from the first conversation we had on the first day and he was always good to me as well like by pushing me to different opportunities and things like that like I said there's not many people of colour like in the industry especially in the company I was in before I think me and one other person were like the most senior people 
in our agency in London. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Got you. And talk to me about being a carer, because you mentioned that aside from the fact that you're a very senior woman, you also are a carer for your two brothers. How does that shape your experiences at work? So it's an interesting one. So um, to give you context, my two younger brothers, they're twins. They are turning 28 this year. Um, they are severely autistic and require full-time care. So I do live at home. I live with my mum and we do obviously care for them. And um, their speech is pretty limited, should I say. And um, I feel like it's a blessing and a curse in the sense that I have a higher, a very high tolerancy level to a lot of things. So I could probably work under a lot of pressures that most people can't and tolerate things that most people probably wouldn't, which is also a curse in the same breath because it means that maybe things probably shouldn't be a certain way or maybe I shouldn't be working a certain way, but I'm just used to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like I also have a lot of compassion for people. <laughs> As Even if they try to act mad around me, I just be like, ugh. Do you know what I mean? I just don't even have time. But I guess what it does do is, is that I now kind of prioritise where I place my worries, if that makes sense, yeah. every day. And um, I know what I have time to worry about and what I don't have time to worry about. Whereas a lot of people might get stressed about a lot of things. I physically don't have the capacity to get stressed about loads of things. And that's probably what it is. And it's something I probably didn't even really speak about for a very long time, um, especially in the workplace, because I never wanted it to come across like, that I can't do the job or it's impacting something I'm I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? I just never, I just never mentioned it because I didn't want it to be something someone had in the back of their head that, okay, maybe Tasha can't do this because of this X, Y, Z. But obviously I've learned in the last couple of years that it's so important to talk. I ended up working with other people that I didn't even realise um, who are also carers as well, who also have siblings who have autism and other illnesses and we all never knew because we never spoke about it. But ever since I started talking about it, I've met so many people who go through similar situations and I've been able to help them and them help me, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's like having a sense of community or people that have the same kind of understanding that you do. Yeah, exactly. And then also just to explain to people what happens, like I'm pretty sure at some point as we've recorded this podcast, you probably heard Jesse having a tantrum in the background. So I can be on a meeting and that's happening in the background and I have to somehow focus and ignore it. So that's the kind of challenges I have, especially when the pandemic happened and we had to work from home. Do you ever explain it in meetings or you don't feel the need to? Like, how do you navigate that? Um, I do explain it in meetings here and there, but I don't think, obviously, because most people probably haven't even seen my brothers before, so they probably don't actually understand what I'm saying and when people hear autism they just think oh like oh on the spectrum and you know people throw that phrase out all the time oh this person's on the spectrum on this and that but I don't think they really understand but I do I do mention it here and there and are you glad that now you're at a place where you can talk about it openly oh yeah yeah 100% because it, it shapes who is part of who I am part of my life if that makes sense yeah so yeah so that's part of when you say you no longer pretending at work you're coming as your full self yeah I come in as my full self if I don't know God forbid if something's happening and I need to be at home, I will say that for that reason. Yeah. I help my mum out a lot in terms of like her English is not the best and she has to deal with a lot of um, 
a lot of people, a lot of carers, a lot of things. So then sometimes I might help her out with that. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Oh, Tash, I love that you're now open. Obviously, we've been friends for a long time, so I've always known. And then I think it got to a point where, like, on social media, people have this big perception of you that you're a luxury babe, (laughs) which, of course, you are. You love shopping, you love fashion, you love beauty, you're a high flyer, all of this. And I remember one time you were just like, do you know what, Pilar, people have this perception of me and I'm tired of, like, not pretending, but there's another side of me. People just think my life is perfect. And then I remember you did this post on um yeah on instagram where you were just like you wanted people to see like yeah you guys see this side of me but actually what you don't know is i'm also a carer and you put up some posts yeah. of your brothers and i was just like ah oh, tash i'm just so happy that you're at a stage where you're just like yo this is me do you know what i mean yeah i remember that post and i remember the caption because I- <laughs> I remember the caption of that post started off with a bit of Cardi B. I was born to flex, diamonds on my neck. Yay! Remember? <laughs> I remember, I remember. One thing I think that a lot of the times we have these conversations about women that get high up in their career, this and this and this and that and that and that. But we can't have this conversation without having the conversation about dating, right? Oh, oh, Uh-oh. Yeah. yes, we're going there. <laughs> There is a certain narrative on social media. But in order to have this conversation, we wanted to invite our friend Charles because it was important to have a balanced conversation. Hey, Charles. Thank you for joining me and Tasha on this call. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, anytime. You know, Charles likes to keep it real. So we wanted to have him here. So what I want to talk to you guys about. So... I've had a friend, he tells me this all the time. I don't know why he's always telling me this, but he tells me this all the time. But then another friend sent me a video yesterday and I want to play this video to you because this is the narrative that is going around. Literally, she says, I got a good job. I make very, very good money. And she says, the only thing I need now is a man. (laughs) It's like, yo, like, (laughs) like, who wants you? Who wants you? you you're right. right. Like once you have achieved these things, you have unfortunately disqualified yourself. Ooh, and, and, shit. And what it is is these because I and this is the thing. I'm not blaming Ooh, the, the women. women are gonna hate him for that shit. They are gonna hate him for that. Okay, let's talk about it. We're gonna talk about it because <laughs> there is this narrative on on social media that <laughs> when women get more senior, they become not less attractive because how you look doesn't change you become less appealing to men, right? And this is the perfect conversation for Tasha because Tasha is the queen of all of this high-value woman, high-value man conversation. I I don't get any of that. But but I want to talk about it. Why is there a narrative that the more senior women get, the harder it is for them to date? And Tash, would you say that's been the case in your experience? And then Charles, I would love you to break it down to us from a male perspective. So I feel like my dating experience, well, do you know what? It's unfortunate, but yeah. When I date normally... I don't date thinking I'm some big old person. I'm some big boss somewhere, you know. Chilling with the big boys. Yeah, you know, (laughs) I'm just dating normally. But I have more recently decided to be a bit more bougie with my pickings. Just because I've ran into a few issues where people I've dated have either told me or indirectly told me that they feel intimidated by 
the things that I do. Even the last person I was dating, who's in the gutter. In the bin. (laughs) Yeah, even the last person who I was dating, who was in the gutter, had this issue, but he was obviously more vocal about it. And he often said, oh, I don't feel like I'm on your level and this and that. Meanwhile, what he does for a living, if he's good at his job, he could potentially make more money than me. But I guess as I'm pretty driven and I'm focused and I know what I want to do in life, if that makes sense, it's probably more if you're a man and you don't really match up to that, I guess that the male ego takes over. So unfortunately, I've had to impose new standards on my dating experience just to avoid issues like that. If I don't see what you do for work, I'm I'm never going to like your profile. Wow, Tash. Is that being superficial, though? I mean, it's by force now. Okay, so you're doing that just based off of your experience? Yeah, I feel like I, I have to be. Like, I wasn't, I probably wasn't really, I would never date like that before, but now I have to think about these things because even though people might say it's okay or they don't mind or that they're fine with it, are they really? Do you know what I mean? So I guess where the streets are a bit cold, it kind of saves me time kind of having this kind of criteria, Mm. (laughs) you know? Mm. It's interesting though, in my experience, as someone who's a freelancer, I remember there was this guy I was speaking to last year. And even as a freelancer, to be honest, I would say in the past five, six years, I've only gone one month without work, right? And there was this guy I was talking to and he was like... um, yeah, like how stable is this freelance thing that you do? So for me, it's the opposite. They're like, are you in an okay position? Because people perceive that media, firstly, it's not very well earning, Yeah, number one. And I remember I went on a date with this guy, right? And he had his own business or whatever. And at the time I was freelancing in TV. So I was doing social media for TV. And he was like, oh yeah, my ex was a producer. She was like a TV producer. You guys don't get paid much, do you? In my head. And I remember he actually told me how much he earned. And actually we were on the exact same. He was really thinking he was doing, you're chilling with the big boys. But in my head, I knew the rate he told me, we made the same. Even me as a freelancer, I was making the same as you. But I thought, I'm not going to tell him how much I earn. I thought, let me let him take this one and let him take the bill. It was a good couple of hundred pounds. I was like, good. That's what you get for judging other people. Because he thought I didn't earn much. There was no (laughs) expectation for me to put anything towards the bill. And I was like, fine, let, let him take it. And I made a mental note. Note to never ever go out with this guy ever again. I, I don't tell anyone how much I earn. Why is that though? Because like for International Women's Month, the, the whole prospect is is breaking the bias. So like how are other women meant to know how much they're meant to get paid if we are silent about how much we're getting paid? Do you know what? I've actually had a few people in the last couple of months actually ask me not necessarily how much I get paid, but they say... I've been offered this job, how much should I be getting paid? Or roughly how much are you getting paid so I know how much I should be quoting? You know, that kind of thing. And I do feel it's important to have these conversations so that people aren't being underpaid. But what I've done is um, there is um, a recruitment agency that I worked with in the past um, when I needed to fill some roles. And um, they actually send like a salary benchmarking report for digital marketing. And within it, it's quite intuitive. So they have like um, salaries for, they've got salaries for people, like normal salaries. And then they've got freelance day rates, what the averages are. So what I've said is, 
I send them the document, I'll be like, I get paid according to this. And obviously there's a range in there. So I feel like I've been transparent as far as that to be like, you can look at this document to help you decide what you need to get paid and leave it as that. But I think it's just a weird one. Like I said, everybody's mad and it's not anything personal. <laughs> like people's madness, madness is not anything personal, but it's a bit like, just like, you could be telling someone how much you earn, like, innocently and obviously to help them out but you can't control how they would feel about that afterwards and how that influences their relationship with you afterwards and their dynamic with you afterwards does that make sense and how they speak about you and all sorts yeah yeah no it makes sense all right Charles you've heard our two different experiences when it comes to dating as women in the game what is your view on this and why do you think this narrative exists on social media and does this narrative that exists on social media is it a thing that actually happens in real life um i mean i can see where the guys come from in their thinking i might not necessarily agree and i also think there's different viewpoints for how successful you are as an individual also if you're quite successful as an individual yourself, I don't necessarily think you're going to have the same viewpoints as they do. But, but at the same time, if you're in a relationship with someone and you have a partnership with someone, you have to kind of like be clear that if you're both successful people striving for whatever it is you're doing, somebody else could be a better partner to the person you're seeing. Think about it for a sec. If I'm, if I'm working, let's say I'm working for my, my own business or I'm working in a job, for me to do well in either, I have to commit a lot of hours to it, a lot of hours to it. So let's say like a normal job might be 40 hours a week, but if you want to thrive in that job, you should really give it about 60 hours a week, 60. So let's say I'm giving it 60 hours and my partner's giving it 60 hours as well. What partnership do we actually have with each other? We don't. So there is going to be somebody out there who could be a better partner for me than my partner. I get what you're saying. So are you saying, basically, if a woman is a high-achieving woman, she is not a good match to be with a high-achieving man? Is that what you're saying? I think if a woman is a high-achieving woman, she's one that date someone who's probably a bit more accomplished than her. And by more accomplished than her, I mean maybe mentally, so older, for sure. Definitely, I always recommend like a woman to a woman who's very relatively successful, or good, very successful, to see an older guy, hundred percent. Or if she thinks she can make that mental adjustment of being able to support someone who might have a bit more time and availability to like give her what she thinks she might need, and that's a difficult mental adjustment because most women want to be looked after. So I think the safest bet is to date someone who's older or maybe a bit more successful than you are. Because in starting my own business or in like advancing in, in any corporate ladder or whatever that I've done, it's an intense time commitment. So if the girl who's saying that she's my partner is doing the exact same thing, she's not my partner. She's a girl I'm seeing. Okay. She'll never be more than a Hold girl. Hold on. So are you saying? No, 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 no. I don't. I don't mean. I don't mean. Um. I'll. I'll put a ceiling on it. But I'm just saying that there isn't. There is no room for her to be an actual partner to me. What? What's the partnership? What is it? 
Got you. We're both giving 60, 70 hours a week to work. What is What exactly is it you're doing for me as a partner? So, Charles, you were speaking about partnership. What kind of partnership, like, do you want to explain? I think I know what you're going to say, but, like... Because, obviously, you're saying what kind of partnership are we having if we're both working 60 hours a week? So, where else do you want her to put her hours? Is that in the kitchen? Where is that? I mean, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it depends where I'm lacking, essentially. So... That's, that's essentially what my partner is supposed to be there for. Supposed to, even if it's like a business relationship, there's certain things that I'm better, I'm better than my business partner at. So all the things where I'm lacking, my business partner thrives, hopefully, if you've got the right synergy. If you have the right synergy, that's the kind of relationship you have. So I might be of poor value or quality in the house. I might be. I might be working so much. I don't have time to look after myself properly. And a lot of the time, when you're going for success, there's always these little sacrifices you make, either consciously or unconsciously. You might unconsciously sacrifice your health. You don't know, you might. So I might be doing a 60, 70 hour week, and then I'm eating shit. The house doesn't taken care of. Yeah, then of course, somebody who, who could help me with that, it would be of great benefit to me. But then I can't say to someone, oh, don't have that career so you can come and work in my house. I can't, I can't actually say that to someone, but in real terms, if she's doing 60, 70 hours a week, there is going to be someone else out there who could be a better partner. It's just like an unfortunate truth. Okay, so are you saying then, is that what puts men off very accomplished women, in your opinion, and based off of the people around you because you're what's classed I mean I don't really follow this narrative but I do know that you would be what is classed as a high value man right you've always had great jobs you started your own business six figure all of that you're what is classified on the internet as a high value man so you're saying the high value men you're surrounded with would consider that in a woman before settling down with her no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think guys on a lot of levels are pretty simple. Like, they want a woman, I guess, who they're attracted to, one. And then everything else kind of trickles down from there, I would say. So if, if you meet a woman who you find attractive and she has certain traits that you enjoy, I don't think a guy is going to say, oh, you're earning close to the same amount of money as I am. Go away. I think the issue comes in where a guy gets kind of worried about how a woman perceives him in comparison to other men sometimes. So it might be something like, I mean, I've heard, I've heard like couples I know argue and the girl might have said something like, oh, my ex did this, what's your problem? Kind of thing. And like, who knows, maybe... Maybe her ex just had the means to do something that he couldn't do. But that's a strange position to be in now. So he's like, okay, I'm not doing this necessarily because I want to do this. I'm doing this because I'm under pressure to compete with your ex. But I guess that's not just the plight of a successful woman, but it's it's just got to do with a guy, how he feels about himself and what you earn and makes him feel he's not inferior to provide you. So and a lot of the time in the relationship, you want to look after someone and you want to be looked after. And if I don't feel like I can look after you, it kind of takes away something. Mm. You basically explained what I was saying in terms of me being a bit more bougie with my choices now. 
because you can't control how people perceive the situation. So even though I personally don't mind, maybe, that a guy is earning the same or maybe less or whatever, I feel like how they end up treating you is based on how they manage their self-confidence in the situation. I don't know if that's the right phrase to call it, but do you, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. That makes sense to me. I mean, just to be clear, I would say that I mean, it might not be like a good thing to say or something that people would like, but you can't have everything. You can't. I know it's like a nice idea that we can have everything, but no, you can't. So even like myself, when I found myself making the biggest advancements in my career or in business, I don't have time to date. If I'm seeing someone, that relationship suffers. But then I, if I know to myself, oh, I think I want to be with someone at some point, in my mind, mentally, I know at some point I'm going to have to take time away from work to invest into an, a relationship I need to nurture. I know that. I already know that kind of thing. But I can't have all of it. Mm, I'm hearing you. What I'm also hearing is that it's not that a man will like run away from a high-achieving woman. They would want to make it work. But what comes into play is their own insecurity at some stage. That's one of like, like five things maybe. Your own insecurity for sure because I think if you know how to get to a point where you can earn 100,000, then let's say the person you're dating, she's earning 100,000 and you're just, you're not working at the point at that moment in time. It's not a problem to you because you're making a choice not to work. But if you don't know how the hell can I get to 100,000 and she's at 100,000, you're just like, well, she belongs to a world I have no idea about. Like, what does that mean kind of things? It's, it's almost like you've got a normal job on the high street and then she works with athletes every day. She works with rappers every day. There's going to be something in your mind that's going to be like, oh, like it's going to take me five years to save up 50,000 where some one of these guys could drop 50,000 on her in a day. Like That's a strange place to exist kind of thing. Mm. So then basically the men that spit this narrative online is because they're not yet at a place themselves. Yes and no. Yes and no. They could not be at a place themselves, but they also understand the reality of what actual support and partnership means in a relationship. And for you to support me and be my partner in a relationship, it's not really likely that you'll be able to have a 60-hour-a-week demanding job or business it's not, it's, it's difficult. That's, that's a difficult relationship to be in. It's, it would make more sense for one person to step away and see if it's a business, if they can join that business and make it flourish a bit more. But if you're both working at, say, two corporate jobs and you're both giving 60 hours a week to a job in order for you to advance, what time do you have? The time you come home, you sleep together and then you go the next day and then you might have the weekends. That's not really a, that's not really a supportive relationship. That's just two people being together. Mm, wow you know what I never thought of it from that angle about the the hours everyone's been so focused on Molly May's 24 we all have the same 24 hours in a day we're forgetting we're forgetting we're forgetting that these men saying this stuff on 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 social media thinking about she's using all her 24 hours in a day there's nothing left for me real talk it's like even to um even when I've started seeing girls they've been like Oh, the thing that's so frustrating about dating someone like me is that there might be an inconsistency. So I might speak to them a lot in like 
a, a week or two weeks. And that might have been a, a period of work where I was kind of having some downtime. So I was just giving a, a, like minimal hours. And then the next four weeks, I ramped it right up. I didn't have time for it. I didn't have time for, for the interaction. So that lack of consistency, it just wasn't okay for them. So there's, there's realities of seeing people who exist in a certain space. There's a reality of seeing a guy who's successful in terms of the time that you'll get. And there's a reality of seeing like a, a strong woman, for example, because you might say you want a strong woman, but the reality of that is that a strong woman is going to question you about the stuff you do. And you might not like that. There's, there's a reality of, of these situations. People claim to want them, but they're not easy situations to be in. They're not easy. They're tricky situations to be in. Long has gone the days of the power couple. No one seems to want that anymore. <laughs> I think it's funny because everyone used to say something like, oh, let's build together. And I never, ever saw scenarios where two people built together. I never, ever saw that. I always saw someone built. Beyonce and Jay-Z. Okay, that's one. There's like a billion people around us. Did you say building like together? Building together. Mm. And, and even that, did they build together? Beyonce was Beyonce still. Jay-Z was Jay-Z kind of thing. Right. So how many people build together? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's true. Do you know something? I remember seeing, um, I remember watching a YouTube video like a couple months ago and it was by a dating coach. I forgot his name, but he always starts the video by his stage name because people can't pronounce his real name. <laughs> um, and um, he basically said um, that there was a study and the study found that people who basically had financial investments together, so like couples. So let's say like I meet someone, we now put our money together because we now want to go and buy a house or we want to invest in something and this and that. Apparently those couples were the ones that basically stood the test of time, like they would get married, they would die married, you know, that kind of thing, because they actually build in together. But then on the counter side of that, there's also a lack of that also happening now in the world of dating. So I thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. My friend was also telling me about another study and his view was that when women hit their 30s, they have an unrealistic standard that they want. He said in this article, he actually sent this article to me and it was talking about the three sixes. I had never heard of this in my life. Do you guys know what the three sixes are? That women want a man who is six foot with a six pack who earns six figures. <laughs> and that when women hit their 30s, it's unrealistic for them to get that. Wow. Because the the gap, apparently the gap, and they found this for women and especially for black women, the gap um, between like the earnings for women and men in their 30s, that's when it really stretches as in like women tend to make strides bigger than men in their 30s. And even in America, when you look at the entrepreneurs, black women were six times more likely to have a successful business than their male counterparts. So there is a big gap in success once hit women hit their 30s compared to in their 20s, you're all on the same playing field. You're all figuring it out. And in their 30s, I don't know what happens, but the gap widens which is probably to your point Charles when you said that you think like women need to date older yeah I've, I've been I've been saying that for a while I definitely think they need to date older 
On that point with the, the, the three sixes, is that the case for you? Or are you looking for six figures, six pack? Is that is that true for you, Lot? I'll take two sixes to be honest. <laughs> I'll take um Yeah, saying I'll, I'll take two I'll sixes. Take two sixes <laughs> as well. Are we already settling, Tash? <laughs> the third six, obviously, is the the one I'm I'm thinking about leaving on the shelf is this is the six pack, and that's because I know I know I have a food pack. <laughs> I'm working on so I feel like before I can be saying I want that I need to qualify I do know I need to you know be sorting myself out for that but um yeah I I'll definitely take the two sixes I'm not gonna lie it's so funny because that's the same six I would have left on the shelf as well the six pack like that's, that's <laughs> that one's not a necessity the other two we can keep oh, yeah the other two we can keep but but Pilla, you're always you're always in the gym though yeah, babe, but the food, it's the food for me. But we I was about to make a joke, but you might actually go on. I don't know, no. jump through go on. the mic and strangle me. Go on. DJ Khaled. Oh no. <laughs> a friend famously made a joke here years ago that I remind him of DJ Khaled, <laughs> always working out and never losing weight. <laughs> I will actually never forget that. But you know what, yeah? Working out does no, other pillars, things for you. In the gym. No, working out does other things for you apart from apart from uh, getting Do you know what? I've got I've got an excuse. Uh-oh. Before no 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 no. Before lockdown, yeah, I would be in the gym, but my body was actually looking good. I didn't clock it until when I look back at the pictures, I'm like, wow, like my body was bodying. And now since lockdown, I can't, because I'm, I'm spending most of my time like in front of a laptop, not moving, not even running to a, for a train or whatever, that actually you're losing a lot of the regular movement you use. So now three times a week, three workouts a week won't cut it for my body because I'm not moving like I used to. Does that make sense? Like all those walks you used to do, I've had to have a, a serious talk with myself and this month we're going in. Like today, almost hit my goal. I've got just under 100 calories to go to hit my goal, but I have to be active every day. Like I have to walk every day or well, at least five, six days a week in order to get back to pre-pandemic me. You have to, like... When you get to say, it's not about working out more, it's the food still. That's what it is. I know you want to just, I know you want to like be active until you're like, no, it's the food still. <laughs> <laughs> you can probably stay as active as you are and tweak the food and be fine. <laughs> like... Do you know what? <laughs> I, 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 do, do you know what it is? I just don't like... I'm just not here for salads, but also I just don't want to live a life without carbs. Do you know what I mean? I used to do no carbs and then my belly will be flat. I just don't want to live like, what is life without carbs? I can't do that anymore. I have to choose my happiness. Now, after we've come out of a pandemic, I have to choose happiness over restriction. Do you get it? With, with what you said just now, yeah, about um, like food and stuff like that, that's another, re that's another thing when it comes to being successful and trying to like do business. Certain things don't look after themselves. Like in my in my mind, I can't, I won't be able to like maintain a, a good relationship with someone, really thrive with business, and really thrive with my health. That's that's a lot. That's actually a mm. lot. So which one do you sacrifice? The relationship with someone. Ah, in your at your big age, Charles. No, nah, listen, 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 yeah. <laughs> like 
Let me say, I'll say this to you. I'll say, you tell me how you feel about this. I'll say this to you. I think, I think that there's a ceiling that you, you can get to in life if you don't have any partnership. If you have no partnership at all, your ceiling might be like 70. If you want to get to level 100, you need partnership, 100%. You 100% need partnership to get there. Yeah. For you to like thrive better, I think so. But that partnership has to be good partnership. And there's a massive difference mm. with partnership and good partnership. And it takes a long time to develop good partnership. And, it's, and a lot of people, you, you know a lot more about how to make money and how to be successful than you do know how to be a good partner. That's true. Because we do more of it in our lives. It's what we've gone to school to do. So there's, there's actual time investment that gonna, it's going to take to be a good partner. Like you or not. Even I didn't like the idea of that as a guy, but I realized as an older man that yeah, there's a time investment that's going to take for me to be a good partner to someone. Hundred mm. percent. Can I ask a question though? How comes successful female celebrities don't have this issue? This is only a conversation I see amongst women who work corporate jobs or who work, you know, jobs. Your nine to fives. I mean, I guess it depends one on like the attractiveness of the celebrity you're talking about. And then also, I think there's a, a freeness that um, a woman who's a celebrity has, and she has access to a lot more men, I think. Because one thing that a lot of corporate, corporate women that I speak to, they talk about problems dating, but they don't leave their house. So I, 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 don't really, um, I don't really quite understand the problem that they're talking about. Is the problem that they don't leave the house or the problem is that they can't... They, I, don't, I don't get the problem. So if you've got a successful celebrity, yeah, she's active, she's out. Or she could be really attractive and she just has loads of people and she's, she's on TV, for example, so people from all over are looking at her. Or she's a celebrity, she's just interacting with people more. Corporate, corporate people, you get home from work, six o'clock, and that's you until the next day you're on your journey to work. And then Friday, it's so true. Friday, you might not even go out. And then Saturday, you might say, okay, what's happening? And then you might go out for a coffee or something and go back to your house. You're not going to go out on a Saturday night. You might not. And then let's say you've been doing a corporate gig for a couple of years and you stop looking after yourself. You might even look the way that you used to look a couple of years ago because you devoted so much to the corporate gig. So it's like... I really, I really think sometimes people overrate the like the drive for success and stuff like that. There's, there's a tax, and you just have to decide what that tax is. That tax is either going to be your relationships with someone, or it might be your health or something like that. There's always a tax, always a tax. Wow. So, guys, what is our conclusion and our advice to corporate women who are struggling with dating? I personally think that you know what, like. I agree with a lot of what Charles said in terms of dating because it's something I've had to learn recently that we do really well in our careers and we know how to make money, we know how to do what we need to do, but maybe we don't always, we're not, we don't know how to be good partners, if that makes sense, because we haven't prioritised it. So if anything, I'm learning to prioritise that. And like I said, um, I feel like if you're a successful woman, you do actually probably need to be a bit more picky now and slightly superficial, unfortunately, in terms of who you're picking. Because like I said, you can't control 
how a man perceives himself and you can't control how he feels about himself and that kind of thing. It almost reminds me a bit like, do you remember, um, have you seen the movie Crazy Rich Asians? I forgot the, do you remember there was a, a woman in it that was really rich? I, for, I don't know why I've forgotten everyone's names in the film, but I remember there was this, there was um, a part in the film where obviously there's the, a couple and the woman's really rich. Like she's so rich, she she goes to buy like diamonds on her lunch break. That kind of rich. And she was hiding and, it from her husband. Yeah, exactly. She would come, she would come home and have the maids hide it from her husband. And obviously she had even compromised on where she had lived because her husband was basically paying for the apartment. And basically what happened in the end, so even though she loved him enough to make those compromises in her relationship, he did not feel like a man. Do you know what I mean? He didn't, he, she didn't actually do anything wrong. And he just didn't feel like a man. He ended up cheating with her, with someone that was more in his price bracket, if you know what I mean, in terms of lifestyle. And I guess when he was probably with her, he felt like he could, he could do things for her. He could be in control. Do you know, do you know that kind of thing? And that's unfortunate because obviously the other lady didn't really do anything wrong. It was just she couldn't control how he feels about himself. Does that make sense? So I feel like if you want to avoid situations like that, you're better off um, probably dating someone that is more successful than you are and maybe a bit older. And I feel like I've had situations where I've dated people and I've questioned their drive I'm even questioning that their mates that they're hanging around with that aren't doing much with themselves. <laughs> if that makes sense. Because I know the people I spend most of my time with, they're all pretty driven. We are accountable to each other. We all know what we're doing. Do you know what I mean? Like you might pick up the phone to me pillow and be like, that's sick, you've got this new job or this is sick, you're doing this. And I'm like, have you put out this or even like being on your neck about podcasts? You know, do you know what I mean? There's, there's things that we do and I've dated people. Where I, I just feel feel like if I make an outlandish comment, which I believe I could probably achieve and the, and the guy's being slightly anti. And when I say anti, a bit like, oh, you know, maybe, oh, maybe you should just relax or you shouldn't do that. Like that gets on my nerves because I literally wake up in the morning most times and feel like I could become the first female president of Ghana if I really wanted to be. I don't have a limit on my capabilities. And if I'm talking and interacting with people who are like that, you're just bad vibes. So I'll just kind of scoot away from you. And um, I have, I've had instances where I've dated people and I feel like they don't have the same kind of drive and it's a bit annoying. I do agree to an extent that you can't help how other people feel about stuff, but I'm of the thought and I'm seeing around me that you can go older and younger, number one. <laughs> and <laughs> not a preference of mine, but I see, I'd be seeing it working. And two, I'm a person that can't sacrifice on lifestyle. That's something I've just learned about myself. So I don't really think I care what the other person earns, but we've got to have the same ideas in terms of lifestyle. That's it for me. But I do think also there is a huge amount of successful women that date. Um, but maybe the conversation is not being had enough that we don't know what the reality it is of some. Um, I know like I have a lot of older friends as well that I look to as friends as well as mentors. And a lot of them have also said to me like, listen, you've got to change 
what your your perception is like stop chasing that oh my gosh I want a high flying guy da, 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 because sometimes that's not what you need in a partner and I think that kind of um goes hand in hand with what Charles is saying that if you're doing 60 and they're doing 60 then that might not work if you're doing 60 maybe you need someone who is doing 40 but is very content with their 40 as in like when I say they're doing 40 not mean that they're doing less than you but just like maybe you're both not working at the same speed as in like you don't need a not everyone needs a jay-z to their beyonce do you get what i'm trying to say like you've got to be realistic with what your personal needs are and not what your ideal was and is your ideal based on what you've seen on the world do you know what i mean you just need someone that's gonna make you happy and that sometimes that doesn't always look like a a six-figure somebody you know but if it is it's a bonus you get it <laughs> i think I don't, I don't know how this is almost like an area that people don't necessarily think about. And it's like before a lot of relationships were based on that dependency. So like the woman might depend on the guy and stuff like that. All of our parents might have been come from situations like that, traditionally and stuff like that. And that kept those relationships together. Um, So now nobody necessarily needs to depend on anyone. And it's almost seen as something that's being positive, that you don't need no one which I don't ever think is really positive. I think you should need people. But um, like I, I kind of wonder what, why everyone goes for the relationships they go for now. If it's just to not be alone or if it's because they want to create a family or if it's because they just think it's what they're supposed to do. Yeah, it's a, it's a significant thing, like investing time into someone. It's like, it's a... It's an actual significant thing and you have to give it, you have to give it time. And if you're, for example, what Tasha said about if she's um, going to have to be really picky, um, you might have to be open to like an alternative type of dating experience initially because you're talking about a small pool of people. You're talking about a really small pool of people. Guys who are a little bit older than you, who have kept themselves in good nick, are making good money and there's a lot of women who are doing well in the, in the corporate ladder or in just business generally so if they all have that same glut that view as you they're all looking for the same guy as you so you might find yourself you might have to be able to withstand some turbulence for a little while in your like day in your day <laughs> <laughs> like you might have to just be like you know what i know why i'm doing this and just like except what comes with that. <laughs> There's like five of me to one of him. And you might just have to be like, I might have to ride out this wave until I'm the one-on-one or kind of open yourself up to an alternative situation. But that that's just that's just me like trying to speak on it as I as I think I see it. So yeah, so I, I'm not I'm not necessarily sure about um with the initial clip. I'm not sure where the where the ideas came from, but I can see as a man with the analogy that I gave if everyone's committing 60 hours a week to something, then you're not really going to be a great partner for that person. And you have to be honest that someone else could actually be a better partner for the person you're seeing, which is which is just it's just an unfortunate truth. So yeah, I think the only the only thing I'll say And someone could be a better partner for you too. As as the woman for sure, someone could be a better partner for you. But the only problem there is that you could probably find a guy who's earning two hundred thousand a year 
and then he settles down with a woman who's earning 15,000 a year. Easy. I can see that happening. Oh, yeah, that's normal. I can see that happening every day. Yeah. Well, you won't normal. really find a woman who's earning yeah. 200,000 settling down with a 15,000 dollar man. So you so just by default, like you look pitch your your like your pool pretty small kind of thing. You really narrow it down. And then you say the six foot, six feet, like you narrow this down quite a bit. So like, I'm just I'm just saying <laughs> what I'm seeing. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um you know that clip, yeah. The guy who was talking the most in that clip, he was giving me insecure. So I get what he was trying to say overall, but the way he phrased it, it was giving me insecure. Because if he's like, well, what what can I give you? That means you know you're not enough. So he should leave the group chat. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think think that what a lot of guys will do is generalise on an experience they think they're going to have. So they might have heard that, oh, when you date a woman who's doing really well, she gives you a certain type of attitude or she um, she won't give you certain traits, like she won't, you won't really get certain feminine energy from her. He might have just heard that, that that's just how it is, as opposed to he's dated a series of women who have been successful and it's been a problem because of their success. I doubt he has like four or five girlfriends and he's like ex-girlfriends who are really successful. I doubt that's where that's coming from for him. He's probably heard this and he's just like, yeah, you know, it's better it's better to just stay away from them. Because he's seen one or two online, maybe. He, he probably has it, but it's still it's still giving insecure. I don't know. I'm I'm always a bit weary about using when like a guy says something on his perspective to say something about um, insecure, I'm not sure. He might be. He might be for sure. But yeah, I just know it's a, it's an easy thing to go to. <laughs> I'm pretty direct. I'm calling a spade a spade. It's giving. I'm insecure. not. I'm not gonna fight his corner. I'm just gonna say I know that it's an easy thing to say when a guy expresses something that they're insecure. I'll say that. Wow, guys. On that note, I think we're gonna wrap this up here. Tasha, thank you so much for sharing your story for International Women's Day and International Women's Month. You're welcome. Charles, thank you for coming through to give a male perspective on something that I think a lot of women who are climbing up the ladder are concerned about, you know, like we always shout out our fellow women, like, oh, this is happening. But then also it's just nice to have the other aspect of like, what's happening outside of work? Like, are you a whole person? Are you enjoying time with your friends? Are you enjoying time with your family? And what's happening with your dating life? It's not that, I don't think like dating is a necessity, in these conversations, but it's something that we wanted to explore because it's something that we talk about privately. And Charles, it was great to have a male perspective and a male view. So thank you for coming through. Thank you so much for the invitation. And that brings us to the end of another episode. Shout out to Tasha and Charles for just giving what they needed to give in this episode if you want to find tasha online you can find her on instagram her at is tasha.antwi and antwi spelled a-n-t-w-i 
And if you want to find her on Twitter, Tasha underscore Antwi. So hit her up, hit me up. Let us know what you thought of the episode. And if you took anything from this conversation or if you found yourself in a similar position where you're a senior woman who's experienced any of these things, I would love to hear from you and any thoughts you had about the points that we discussed. Or, you know, if you had any thoughts about our conversation with Charles on the whole matter of like dating when you become more senior then hit both of us up we're ready to have that conversation make sure you share this with a friend if you think they're gonna relate to anything that we spoke about then yeah hit us up and let us know and i shall see you guys next week bye